I want to ask all of my security vendors to make my business case for me. I think the product is cool, maybe not, whatever, but make my business case for me. And whatever information they need from me, I can provide. That is my way of forcing a vendor to think and communicate in terms that I like. Welcome to Audience First, a podcast for tech marketers looking to break out of the echo chamber to better understand their audience and turn them into loyal customers. Every week, Danny Wolf has brutally honest conversations with busy tech buyers about what really motivates them, the things they hate that vendors do, and what you can do about it. Get access to practical information on how to build authentic relationships with your audience, listen to and talk with your buyers, and apply real customer insights to your strategies and tactics. You owe it to the world to unmute your mic. Are you ready? Welcome to another episode of Audience First. I am so pleased to have a special guest with us today, Brent Detterding, who actually just started as CISO at AFNI Inc. Super thrilled to have you, Brent. Thanks for joining us. So let's get right into it. Yeah. So I, uh, I've been in security for 20 some odd years. Um, when I initially found it, <clears throat> um, when I was in college, I went to a SANS course on security essentials. And I just, I loved it. That, that was, that was my jam, right? So I went straight into that. I worked for the same company for 19 years, uh, SecureWorks. I was employee number 21 back in 2003 or so. And, uh, I loved it. Uh, I spent 15 years in operations there. Then moved into a, uh, client facing sales kind of role. I mean, operations was client facing too, but moved into a sales role and, uh, really, really enjoyed, enjoyed that role, but. Four or five years ago, I was doing a bunch of cloud stuff and kind of looked and at the people I was across the table from a bunch of systems and whatever. And I was like, yeah, I think I can do that job. But I didn't want to drive to downtown Chicago every day. So I'm in the big, big cornfield west of Chicago. And then COVID happened. And I kind of picked that idea back up and I was like, eh, okay. And what I found is that in 19 years, I have a lot of expertise, a lot of experience, and th that has given me some very firm opinions on things. Uh, willing to change my mind, very open-minded, but firm opinions. And I applied all of those through a security engineer lens. And so what I had to do is I worked with a mentor of mine, Dr. Eric Cole, big in the world, right, uh, to gain that executive lens. And once I did that, then it just uh, it, it kind of clicked for going to become that CISO role. So I've always enjoyed the executive briefings to CISO, CIOs, et cetera, for my previous employer. And uh, it just, it flowed very, very easily into a CISO role. Once I found the correct um, culture fit, I had to find the right organization with the right culture fit because 19 years to the company is a long time and you're not gonna jump for a little bit more money. Like that's, that's not gonna happen, right? So it had to be the correct culture and really one in which I could thrive. And that's what I found in my current employer, and I love it. I mean, hats off to you. That's quite, I wouldn't say risky. It's, I mean, that's a career shift altogether. It, it, it is, um, but it's been very, very comfortable. So one thing that I was curious about is I wanted to see how my opinions and reality intersected, right? Because I would say things, and people would kind of smirk, and they'd kind of laugh, and they're like, yeah, okay. Let me, let me know how that works out, Brent. 
And uh, I have found that it works out just fine. That it, yeah. it really, uh, uh, all the uh, all the the fear mongering or not fear monger, but all the like, eh, I don't think that's going to work quite the way you think it does. It works, right? I mean, there's constraints, but by and large, find the right organization, have a seat at the table, and things flow pretty well because people are pretty reasonable. What about the security industry? Do you like? I mean, I, I feel like we're all crazy if we're working in this industry. But what yeah, about I mean, it? Do you like? I, I have a very defensive mind, like even in sports and whatever. I have zero offensive mind whatsoever. I could not really go be an offensive security professional, but defensive was my thing. So in '99, when I was getting into this stuff, right, um, it was like being a doctor in the 1700s. Like the body of knowledge was this big, so you could be an expert in a whole lot of stuff. And as part of that, I got to know some of the big people in the industry. And what I found worked suited me very well was firewall management. So it's like the accountant version of security, right? I mean, it, it's stock, it's standard, it's boring, everyone knows it. But like, I did it and I did it well. And at the time, that was like black voodoo magic. Like, like if you knew how to run firewalls really well, then there was a niche in the industry. And I exploited that and I loved, I loved it. Uh, and then it just naturally went from that into kind of learning other things. Um, a friend of mine said, Hey, we need someone to jump on this cloud thing in like 2015 or so. And I, I, I felt like an idiot again, which is when I know that I'm learning a lot and, uh, had a great time learning it. And I realized that there were a couple of light bulb moments that went on and I, I got I get great joy from giving other people light bulb moments. So I really enjoy when I'm able to understand something at a deep level, explain it to someone else, and then they go, ah, no, I get it. IP means nothing or whatever. And you're like, yes, exactly. So that, uh, that's, that's always been a, a kind of undercurrent in my career is the ability to teach, train, mentor others. And I've had the ability to do that for 20 some odd years, both in formal and informal settings. And that's fun. And now I kind of have a little bit bigger platform and it's uh, not technical security mentorship, but it's more thought leadership on um, philosophies of security and effectiveness and podcasts like this. So it's really, uh, I enjoy it. I always have enjoyed it and still, still love it. So I'm thrilled that you're having a good time. And most important is to have a good time doing what you're, you're doing every day and, and to be part of an organization that you enjoy being a part of and, and is behind you as well. So good luck. Good luck in that, that role. I know you're two weeks in. So what does it kind of look like in terms of a new CISO in a new company? And, and I know that CISOs do jump around. So what's it like being a new CISO at an organization? When I interviewed, the role was for a director position and reporting to the CIO. And what I really did is I focus a lot on principles. So I say, my principle is, is this, this is my philosophy of security, things like that. And, um, I did not ask for it, but they came back when they offered me the, the role and it was an offer to report directly to the CEO as a business executive. So what I essentially did during the interview process was I established my personal brain, right? And then in the previous week, two weeks, I have solidified my personal brand. So what I do is, um, uh, on the on the vendor side, right, you're always trying to get people to agree with your point of view, right? And then by your product and all that. 
and it's completely reversed as a CISO. So everyone is coming to you to kind of feel out how you feel about something, right? Either their product or their idea or their area of the company or whatever it is. And that gave me a, a, a lot of risky opportunities. So people in my current org would come to me, be like, hey, what do you think about this? And it could be a piece of technology. It could be a big concept. It could be whatever. And that's risky because it puts me into one of two buckets. It puts me into either the, I like this guy because I agree with him, or I'm not quite sure about this guy yet. And what I consistently heard was I would, I'm very transparent, so I throw my opinion out of there. And they would be like, I'm really glad to hear you say that. And I was like, well, I'm really glad to hear you say that because that means we're aligned. So my philosophy in establishing my personal brand uh, and solidifying that personal brand has really led to a significant alignment uh, across my organization, such that uh, I was three days in when the first issue came up and I needed to go to, to uh, my CIO or my peer, the CIO, and resolve an issue. And it just flowed. Like it, it was like, hey, um, you know, I need you to, to do this because of X, Y, and Z. And here's the long-term effects and do you agree? It's like, yeah, I agree. I'm like, okay, cool. So once a reasonable deadline, two weeks, okay, fine, we're good. And then I was able to communicate back to my team that same thing, empower them, and do a lot of coaching in the meantime about like, hey, like this went on for two months. It that's too long, right? Come back, bring those things to me. I'm not a micromanager, so it gave me an ability to establish my personal brand with my team as well, who was not in, in, involved in the interview cycle. So that's largely what I've been doing, and I'm pretty close. I'm taking a family vacation later this week, um, but I'm pretty close to establishing my initial uh, security roadmap. So prioritize projects for the year, and I mean I have to operate within within my budget and within the budget the, within the decision that I inherited. Right? I mean, virtually no one gets to go to a greenfield environment, so it's fun. It's uh, not necessarily the choices that I would have made, but that's okay. I can work with a whole lot of stuff. You talk a lot about communication between different levels and different departments. Do you think that coming from the customer-facing position in the past has helped you with that? I'm hearing more and more from other CISOs and within the industry and from other practitioners that security is not a technology-first issue. It's a people issue. So. Very much so. Yeah. Let's yeah. expand a little bit on that. So I was talking to someone recently. Um, I, I, I have an analogy that I use when I'm training people. And that is that I can teach a reasonably intelligent person how to drive a car. It's not too big of a deal. But the person who understands how a transmission works is a better driver. So when I'm training people and mentoring people, I like to make sure that they understand how the transmission works. Right? And in doing so, then you can look at a variety of technologies, a variety of things, couple that with some level of experience and form opinions. And really what that forms is your philosophy. So for example, I know that if I hear a vendor say automatically that I know that means something to me, right? Because I've been on operations, I understand how the transmission works and I understand that that means something that tells me a lot about their philosophy and if that differs from my philosophy, right? That enables me to cut through a whole lot of FUD in, in the security industry, right? Because I'm like, 
that's fine. It's cool. I like it, but it doesn't align with my philosophy. The other big thing I like to do is to look and say, okay, um, that's cool. I don't, I don't deny it's cool, but is it valuable to me for the cost? Right? Because I live in a finite world of finite resources and I've got to decide what to spend money on and what not to spend money on. So there are a lot of technologies that are really awesome, but just not worth it to me. Right. They may be appropriate for some other environment. Um, but that exists on the vendor side to communicate properly and to qualify or disqualify. But it also uh, happens a lot internally, right? So I was a day, two days into the role or whatever, and people would ask me things. I'm like, well, I don't know what the situation is here, but let me give you my general philosophy. Like I am I'm a big detection first kind of guy. So when it comes to catching bad guys early in the kill chain, I view that as primary above prevention, for example. Um, even when it comes to per, to catching bad guys early, I'm a big, big proponent of a threat intelligence-based approach as opposed to an AI machine learning approach, right? Um, I, I have these opinions that I've seen work with uh, literally thousands of data points because my previous work had, you know, 100-person teams of IR and adversarial testing and research and, and operations and all this, and they aggregated all of that information together and I consumed it for years, right? So I have a very, very good idea of what works and what doesn't. And from the vendor side, talking to people, it's like, I know exactly what that approach looks like in three years in a variety of environments. So that has given me the ability to speak from experience and my opinions and communicate that both internally and to, uh, on the vendor side to, to prospects, um, but also to my executives and things like that. And the biggest deal, really, um, especially to our clients of my current work, is confidence, right? Um, their confidence in our ability to be secure and keep their client data, their customer data secure is a really, really big deal. So I work in an industry that is very red ocean, right? It's very, very price competitive. It's very hard to differentiate yourself. So my vision is to enable is to have security be a differentiator in that industry by going to our clients and talking to them all about our security and evangelizing that to make them very, very comfortable outsourcing their business process to us. We're in the BPO space. So to your point, yes, it's all about communication, but it's not just being articulate or knowing your facts and figures. It is having opinions based on experience and being able to channel those through philosophies. I feel like sometimes challenges, how do we become literate in the industry from the business side, right? And what is the minimum requirement in order to understand the basics in order to form an opinion? So yeah. someone phasing into the industry or who is already in the cybersecurity industry from the business side or marketing or sales or customer success, what's your recommendation for becoming literate enough in order to form some kind of opinion? A really good way is to work for that vendor. Right. If you get exposure to hundreds of organizations a year, that really helps you form a lot of opinions. But outside outside of that, um, it what you have to do really, uh, in the absence of a better vehicle for this, is you have to consume different different things that are gonna be heavily heavily marketing based, right? And you're going to have to say, what are the philosophical differences between these two companies? How does um, 
how does CrowdStrike differ from Microsoft, right? CrowdStrike and Microsoft like to poke at one another, right? So how are they different? How are their approaches different? Or you might look at firewall vendors. Um, how is Checkpoint's approach different than Palo Alto's? Or why does SonicWall and Fortinet exist in the world of Palo Alto? Well, I mean, there's very valid reasons for that, right? So they each have a different philosophy. They each have a different approach. One aspect, one thing that I'm going to be trying out, this is a theory I have. Um, I want to ask all of my security vendors to make, to make my business case for me. So I said, hey, I think the product is cool. I don't, maybe, maybe not, whatever, but make my business case for me. Because that is going to force them and whatever information they need from me, I can provide, right? That's going to force them to think in business value terms. So as a CISO, that is my way of forcing a vendor to think and communicate in terms that I like, right? Because what is very typical from my observation on the vendor space is like, I, I worked for an XCR vendor, right? So you can go to YouTube and you can watch every other sales pitch from every other company. And we all sounded the same. And it drove me nuts because I don't think we're all the same. But it drove me nuts because they were either very uh, speeds and feeds based or they were like, this up, we're going to save you time. We're going to catch the bad guy. We're going to do whatever. And that's fine and good to, to the extent, um, I mean, that's okay. But at the end of the day, what I need is make my business skills for me. And when I was on the vendor side, once I got this executive lens, right, I realized a lot of success in talking to CISOs and be like, so here's how I would approach it. If I were talking to my CFO and trying to get money for this mm -hmm. and I would lay out like, Hey, this is the risk. This is the likelihood. This is the impact. This is the cost to mitigate. And it's like, it's a $5 million annualized loss expectancy and it costs $500,000 to mitigate. Do you want to do that? Yeah. Right. Um, so that was always, that was always valuable to me. And I think it will be valuable to me in my current role of telling vendors of kind of forcing them to think in those terms and they will naturally go through that process. They'll go through the process of like, Hey, is my product worth it? And how can I justify whether it is worth it? That's awesome. So now you're in this new role and you're faced with several decisions already day three as a, to your mm -hmm. point right now what's your one bleeding neck challenge so i don't get to do things the way that i necessarily would like to do them right which is uh which is fine but it does require a little bit more thought and a little bit more consideration and i need to understand uh, the vendors that i have that i'm in contracts with i need to understand their philosophies um mm. more and what I find is that when I read their websites, um, I have no idea what the hell they're talking about. And that is uh, that's frustrating for me because I've been doing this for 20 years and I'm pretty pretty well accustomed to this space. And if I can't read your website and find out what it is you do and why you do it and how you do it, um, that's frustrating to me. And I mean, they're pretty websites, um, but they, they don't give me what I really want um, as a CISO or as a security engineer for that matter. And they're not uh, transparent enough about their public documentation site, things like that, where there isn't a public doc site. And that that's a little bit irritating. So figuring out how I'm going to accomplish my goals with a lot of vendor choices that the decisions were already made um, 
and fit within my budget, that's that's my current my current challenge. It it's workable. I just gotta figure it out a little bit. I mean, all the all the pieces are there. I think that we are effective, but not necessarily efficient, which I can deal with. All right, lack of effectiveness it would be a problem. You talked about achieving goals. What are your goals? Yep. You're trying to achieve. So at the end of the day, I must enable the business. And if I don't enable the business, then I fail. Um, as part of that, I have to catch the bad guy early, right? So that there's no business impact um, to my company. Beyond that, I have to enable other teams um, within within the organization because, again, I have, I've got to advocate for and solidify my personal brand. But beyond that, uh, given that I do have a background in sales, I can help uh, my company be involved in the sales process and use security as a major differentiator. Because again, the big barrier, the, the big barrier to sales in this industry is uh, confidence and comfort level, right? There are organizations that are not comfortable outsourcing some of their business processes. And so we say, hey, we can do that. And let me show you how we can do so in a secure fashion. That's a good deal for us, good deal for you. Everyone's happy, right? Mm. Um, but it, the one of the struggles is getting to the right people. Oh, it's the same, same thing sales struggles ever, right? I mean, talking to a person, making them comfortable, establishing credibility, all of that stuff. And with security being top of mind for many, many buyers, being able to go alongside the salesperson. And so if I, as the CISO, conduct their CISO, and we do the mind meld thing and everything is good, then that makes the sales cycle dramatically easier. So mm -hmm. that's kind of my goals. That's that's my vision to enable the business, both from stopping the bad guy now, reducing friction on current client contracts. We have a lot of compliance stuff, right? Uh, lots of compliance stuff, as well as go after new business. You talked about the wealth of competitors in the space. Yep. How do you go about researching a new security product? How do you go about separating the wheat from the chaff? Yeah. So um, I, I have a I have a handful of things that I do. First is I'm able to weed out a lot of people based on uh, a bullshit detector that I've refined over 20 years, right? Uh, the second is aligning on philosophy. Like, what is your general philosophy? And um, <laughs> as a CISO, it, it doesn't seem that I have a hard time finding vendors. It, it, it seems like as soon as my job title changed on LinkedIn, my word, every possible vendor who saw what's that? I've gotten stuff about like collaboration tools and all that. I'm like, I'm a CISO. Why do I, I don't, I don't care about that. And employee learning and all sorts of stuff. I'm like, I, I, I don't know. Uh, all right. I mean, not my gig. So uh, finding vendors is not a problem. Also, I am part of, there's another thing about being a CISO. Um, once I became a CISO, I kind of got the key. So I got involved in several different um, smaller, like 150, 200 person CISO communities where they just share lots of information. So I'm able to consume from that, but also contribute to that. So I'm part of a few of those, uh, which is very, very helpful. So I can ask um, and get, there's always the Gardner thing, right? Um, uh, I. I, I know a couple of Gartner analysts and like them and trust them. So th that'd be, that'd be fine. But yeah, once I'm weeding them out, it's the BS detector, the philosophical alignment, 
and then some of the conversational red flags. Like if you, uh, if you say something that is completely ridiculous, then that's a big red flag to me. Like, ah, we stop all unknown, all known and unknown threats automatically early in the kill chain with machine learning. Like, no, you don't, you know, um, or if they don't understand their technology. So for example, um, I used to actually call it out when I was on the vendors that I would call it out. I'm like, all right, here's the slide that I'm going to say the big buds were in machine learning. Okay. We, we, we ready? Like, I'm, I'm going to say it. I'll explain it. I'll tell you how we use it, what we use it for. It is super, super cool. It doesn't move the needle a whole lot, but it is very, very useful in a limited context. Cool. And you get the buy-in and you see a lot of smirks around the room. Cause they're like, yeah, I've heard this. Or I would, uh, another red flag for me is sales guys saying stuff that they have no clue about. Right. So if a sales guy's like, all right, let's get rid of the architecture here. And it starts using words. I'm like, you have no idea what the hell that means. You have no clue whatsoever. Right. Um, so when I would on the vendor side, when I would say something that would come up real salesy, I would say, okay, I'm going to say something and you're going to throw the BS flag out. Okay. So get ready. Now keep in mind, I spent 15 years in operations. I've done this and been there and lived this. I promise this is not BS, but I would stick, say my statement and I would say, now see, uh, he rolled his eyes, right? That's, that's how this works. I'm like, let me tell you why it's not BS. And I'll explain it. And and I would tell them, I'm like, hey, buy my product. And if if what I just said is not true, come back and tell me. And I had plenty of people come back and be like, you were right. I'm like, yeah, I know. Those are things that I like vendors to do. I like them to understand the technology they have. I like them to not make ridiculous statements. Um, part of me would like to say, tell the sales guy to shut up and let his engineer talk. But I've also... Uh, I've, I've seen plenty of engineer videos on YouTube and stuff where we're like, that's not good either. So uh, to some degree, I think that as CISOs, we have to guide the, the vendors into giving you what you need and what you want to talk about. Because left to their own devices, sales guys and SEs, are, they're going to give you their default pitch. And generally speaking, the default pitch does not adapt very well to your specific environment. Are other CISOs really subscribing to that kind of philosophy of helping uh, vendors? I don't think so because, so here's my, uh, here's my unvarnished opinion on, on the state of the CISO role. One is that a lot of CISOs are probably not adept at working at an executive level. And so they, they don't have a, enough of a strategic mindset and mm -hmm. they are security managers that have a CISO title that leads them to be very speeds and feeds driven and not very like, I have to enable the business. This is my business case, things like that. Another thing that I see in CISOs is, um, they don't necessarily have a, a good enough BS de detector for their vendors or for the people that they trust. So they will end up trusting someone, someone's opinion who doesn't know much. And so they are, it's the blind leading the blind. Mm. And that can be very difficult because, um, it takes, 
it takes a certain kind of person, I think, to recognize technical talent. And I don't know if it's common. I, 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 I can only look at things to my own, my own viewpoint, but I can look at a lot of vendor presentations or I can listen to a lot of people and tell how technical they are or are not and whether they're selling BS or not. And I don't know, but I don't think that that is as common as it probably should be. And part of it may be a confidence thing. You have a lot of technical security people who became CISOs by whatever, whatever uh, circumstance but they're, they've then drifted far enough away from it that they no longer have the confidence that they once, once had, or they have confidence in one specific area and not broader. And that still leads them to trusting, either trusting the, the wrong people or the wrong vendors, or uh, they just spend money like it's water and then they get a million tools that don't really move the needle and their people are overloaded and the answer is always go get more money then they can't, and then they get fired. So mm-hmm. that's why CISOs are, as a group, very stressed and turnover in 18 months or whatever. Um, I don't know. I've been in two weeks. I don't know, but I don't see a whole lot of stress in my future. This is an organization that I can work in just fine. Mm-hmm. And when I talk to a lot of people, because one of the benefits on the vendor side is I could I could be on a call of 60 sale, sellers or SEs or whatever, and throw an opinion out there. And the feedback I get back represents thousands of different organizations and clients, probably hundreds in the past two weeks, right? So you get immediate feedback like, no, 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 that's BS, that, that won't work. Or yeah, yeah, that resonates. So you get, all, you get a lot of that feedback from people who are talking to these organizations and you get people will say things like, well, my experience is X, Y, Z, right? And you're like, well, Okay, so how do I work around that? So you get, you, I have a decent bit of exposure beyond just my own my own input, and that allows me to form some opinions about CISOs not having a good BS detector, getting a boatload of tools and not being able to use them. I mean, I have been in this situation plenty of times where, or they're just poor leaders, right? Where um, I went through. Example, uh, I went through a process with a fairly large organization for six months, right? Big bank off, big everything, right? And we got the tech win. Like, they liked, they liked my product. They liked us. They went through the whole nanars. They went into it, and it was, it was there. And a new CISO came in, and on his, like, third day, he discounted every bit of their research for six months and said, hey, we're going with this other, with this other vendor with no calls, no nothing. And I was like, that's, that's just poor leadership, right? Mm-hmm. So you get some of that as well. People come in and rip everything out and put it in their own stuff. And then it may or may not still work, right? So you threw around BS detector, I think like 10 or 12 yeah. times. It, is that the same as conversational red flags? And by the way, I think that's how we connected was I saw your post on LinkedIn about conversational red flags. Is that the same or what does a BS detector look like in your world? You said you yeah. built it up for 20 years or something like that? Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, it's a lot of those conversational red flags, right? So if you if you confidently say something that is absolutely ridiculous, then yeah. that, that, that I throw the BS flag, right? If you can't back up what you, if you can't define terms that you use, I'm going to throw a flag on, right? Um, if you... Uh, 
just to, if you are using antiquated terminology or you're using antiquated ideas, like this doesn't happen. But for example, let's say someone comes and they're like, antivirus is going to solve all your problems. Antivirus is awesome. I'm like, no, no, not, not, not quite. Right. So that really kind of goes back to the credibility thing, right? So if a vendor comes to me or anyone in my organization or me going to anyone, credibility is very, very important because credibility indicates that someone can be trusted and that they're not going to waste my time. They're not going to waste my money, all that. If you're not credible when you first come and, and speak, then I'm not going to give you the time of day, right? Yeah. Are there second chances? You know, I mean, we all fuck up sometimes. Um, are there second chances and what would be the redeemer? Yeah. So, um, but involves some level of transparency, right? Yeah. And it's not necessarily throwing someone under the bus, but this has not happened to me yet. Um, mm -hmm. I expect it might. If uh, for a first meeting, I'm going to be pretty easy on vendors, right? It's really going to be a somebody sell me what you sold me or give me your default pitch and just I'll, I'll list. I'm not going to beat anyone up. I'm not going to ask a lot of questions. But if I then say, hey, I want to do a deep dive on this, this, and this topic, and can you bring me your big gun? And I want to have a deep conversation about this. Here's how much money I'm looking to possibly spend. So give me your big gun. If they then come with um, not the big gun, and I just cannot get answers that I need, that'd be, that'd be a bad thing for me. But if they came in and were like, hey, my fault. I brought the wrong guy, brought the wrong girl. Um, would you give me another shot? Sure. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, by the same token, one of my one of my rules for new vendors is be prepared to discuss list pricing on the first call. I don't want to go back here and there. I want to know up front, what's your list pricing? Now, I know that's negotiable and all that stuff, but if they are not willing to give me a list pricing on the first call, then one of two things is true. Either um, you're not going to be a good partner because you're not listening to what I say, or uh, you uh, your scoping is so damn complicated that we can't do it on the first call. If I have to fill out a big spreadsheet of something, I'm not buying you, period. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Just because that's ridiculous. Yeah. Okay. Are there any differences or anomalies right now in the market that marketers can learn from, the vendors can learn from or take advantage of to, to stand out in your eyes? So one challenge, one challenge that I see is, and I, I, I don't have an answer for this problem, by the way, but one challenge is that vendors are talking to directors of information security and occasionally CISOs. And I think that there's great benefit to going from the executive down. And I don't know how to exactly do that because every vendor I've ever known has always been adept at talking to the practitioner level and not the executive level, right? Mm. And if you break into the executive level, then that's where I think you get a lot more traction. Really? 
That's interesting. Yeah. I, I hear differing views. Yeah. What what yeah. views do you hear? Sometimes I hear from the CISO level, I'm not the one who's going to be making the decision. My my lieutenants are the ones to go to. Uh, I will hear from them and and respect their decision and and give go ahead. I hear that sometimes. Um, I do hear that. Okay, well, if I'm going to be the user, don't use me as a stepping stone to the CISO. Um, value me first, then then my superior. I mean, obviously that's uh, courtesy and treating yeah. people as human beings. But right. you know, I hear I hear differing views. Do, I do you think it depends on the size of the organization or the or the business type? Yeah, so it's both, right? So it's not a matter of skipping over anyone, but it's a matter yeah. of making security a executive level board issue, which it is more and more, and mm-hmm. getting buy-in, getting buy-in from there. Um, it, so I, I suppose in general, the security industry, in my experience, is that I can talk practitioner to practitioner all day, every day. What is generally lacking is that strategic or executive level visibility, business outcome uh, discussion. That's what is generally lacking, right? Even when you get up to the sister level, you're frequently not talking about business case. You're frequently not talking about um, enabling their business. You're frequently still talking about saving time, catching bad guys, stuff like that, which is not bad necessarily, but like, the way that you really get buy-in to spend dollars is having buy-in at the exe- at the executive level. If the system yeah. cannot provide that, then the execs can. That can be really useful, right? And you see that on the vendor side, right? Because, oh, you know, uh, our CEO knows his CEO, and all of a sudden you you get the conversation, and it goes really really easily. One thing that I struggled struggled with in my last lawyer was that um, I could have the conversation at the executive level, but I was never in that room, right? Yeah. Now, when I was in that room for an executive briefing, we were already through the sales cycle and it was very comfortable. I, I, I got there like that was that was fine. Um, but it, it, it felt like, so we had our director of our intelligence arm, um, he would go and, and he had that executive level of visibility, right? So he had the connections, he had the network, he had all that. And he would go and he would talk. And then they were like, oh, yeah, that's that's awesome. What can we do? Yeah, we're buying that, right? It was that kind of thing. So I know the value of it. And I know when it works, but you've got to have the right people who have those connections be in that room. Yeah. And to some degree, it's really hard to get those because not just anyone can get in front of CEOs on a whim, right? What's the worst thing that you've experienced from a vendor or seen either in your previous roles or, or now? I've had the opportunity to see a lot of people present a lot of security solutions, right? And uh, it wasn't unethical or anything, but it was just when an SE is in way, way over their head and they just get demolished, it is not pretty. Like it, it's... It, it, it's just like, it's kind of like a job interview gone bad. I've done hundreds of interviews, right? And when someone just face plants, it's it's just ugly. And so if um, you couple an SE kind of face planting a little bit with a prospect who has something wrong with their life and they want to punish people, and uh, 
and it it is ugly. Now I have been able to um, I have been able to intervene and step into some of those kind of situations because I'm able and willing to uh, to go toe to toe with a whole lot of people, but it's uh, that can be pretty ugly. I don't know that that's a great answer for you, but that's no. I, I I love that experience. I want you to share some of the frustrations or or flops or face plants well, you've I, seen. I, so. I can I can tell you one I heard about. Yeah, this was not my organization, but uh, I heard about a uh, a regional director for a sales a sales team who uh, who passed out drunk at a client meeting, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, and then later got thrown off the plane for, off the plane going home for being Ooh. belligerent. So okay. Well, there you go. There you yeah. go. That's pretty bad. Yeah. Um okay. Well, good luck to that guy. <laughs> All right, let's flip this on its on its head. What's one thing a vendor has done that made you feel good or or what worked for you? So the thing that always makes uh clients love you is when you save their bacon. Right? So for example, uh very frequently in my previous previous uh employer. We would go in and we would deploy ourselves and then bam, 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 we'd catch bad guys. They they had no clue we're in the environment and it, it saved, I mean, at times it was like probably days before ransomware detonated, but like they were all throughout the network and we were able to go in, do an instant response, save their butts. They love you forever, like, and, and as well they should. So that's been a, that's been a real big one. I would feel the same way on the flip side. If a vendor came in and did an outstanding job catching bad guys, then that goes directly to my goal of enabling the business. And I love them, right? I mean, that's at the end of the day, that's that's what I'm there for. Um, any amount of dinners or tickets or whatever else that 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 doesn't really move the needle. I've been doing this for 20 years. Do you have any idea how many really good meals I've had? I've had really, really good steak. It's some of the best steak houses. I mean. Working conferences in Vegas is is fun. Uh, it's also exhausting because yeah. all I'm doing all day is talking to clients. But uh, I mean, I've done that. But like those things don't really move the needle for me. What moves the needle for me is being authentic, transparent, and uh, and speaking my language as a CISO. I like that. That's been kind of the the common theme throughout this series um, on audience first honesty, transparency. Yep. Um, just treating people like human adults. Yeah, I mean, what? So, for a table, um, one thing that I that I always appreciated and liked was when a prospect would bring something up that was maybe the the weaker area of, of my offering or or whatever, and I liked that. Because I didn't try to gloss over it. I was like, I was like, yeah, okay, but let's ascertain how big we deal this is, right? In the grand scheme of things, we talked about this, this, and this. So this is a, a 0.1% deal. Do you agree with that? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that, that's the thing. And that's why this is an evolving product and we'll, we'll do it and whatever else. So what I really do not like is I don't like it when people... Uh, have a weakness or have a gap and they try to make make it like it's not a big deal mm-hmm. and like sometimes that's valid right but in that case you have to explain it thoroughly you have to explain it and you have to get agreement on it you have to be transparent you've got to be authentic 
And if you're just trying to cover over with a sales page, then that didn't work. You know, no one likes that. No one likes Well, we're heading into towards the end of the session, and I want to be respectful of your time. Before we uh, sign off here, uh, what's what's one thing you want to impart on the audience today? Just Just a key takeaway for marketers or sales to really resonate with the audience. Um, the one lesson I want to make to sales, marketers, SEs, et cetera, is to at least think in terms of what the business case is for your prospect, right? You may not have to articulate that, but think through what is the business case? Why would they spend this amount of money with me? And it may be like, Hey, they have this much revenue. I went read these reports. I know that the the risk of ransomware, let's call it 60% risk this year, given their controls, impact for their side to work and revenue, 5 million bucks, cost to mitigate $300,000. Like if you have that in your back pocket, even if you don't articulate it like that, then you have thought through a lot of things that go to enabling that business. And if you're mm -hmm. thinking in terms of enabling the business, you're on a very, very good track. Cool. Yeah, this has been super helpful. Um, a lot of what you said really resonates with me, I'm sure, with with the rest of the listeners on today. I'd love to have you on again, further into your role, see how things are going. Brent, thanks again for joining me. And until next time. Awesome. Thank you very much. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Audience First. If you like what you've heard, feel free to follow or subscribe to Audience First on Apple, Spotify, or any of your favorite podcast streamers.